Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would teach us your ways, your truth, that you would help us to experience, to know, and to share more of your love in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome. Glad that you're here. We're going to get this right here in a second. Merry Christmas. So glad that you're with us uh, this afternoon and that you're joining us online. Glad that you're here. This is a fantastic day. It's a day full of joy and wonder, and it's just, it's my favorite, best day of the year, greatest season. The thing I love most about this season is that it's, it's a time when our society at large wants you to be happy. People are, ha- are quick to tell you, be merry, Merry Christmas, or Happy Christmas if you're in England, as they say, or if you want to be palatable, Happy Holidays, all that. But the point is, society has this moment where we're like, let's be happy. Let's have merriment. Let's be about all this right now. And I think it's so great. And then you start combining that with all these other factors that go in to Christmas. We have the nostalgia for many of us when we were children. We think back about these great memories of Christmas when we were young. And we think now it's so fun to watch the little kids with their anticipation for Christmas and the gift opening and the gifts themselves. But it is kind of a weird day because it's also one of these days where we can get so wrapped up in all the stuff that's going on, getting ready for this day and going on with it that we kind of can lose some of it. We get so wrapped up in the gift buying, getting prepared and all these different things. I had one of my uh, Jewish friends the other day who told me, he he sort of said to me, I pity you guys because y'all just run around like crazy. Like what's, and we get into all this stuff. And I think in in the midst of all this running around, a lot of times we can get to where we're like even getting loose on what we're here to celebrate and what we're doing. It's a little bit like some of the weddings I've been involved in where people are so involved about the aesthetics of it. How's the cake look and the dresses and the tuxedos and the flowers and the arrangements and the schedule and all the stuff that everybody forgets for a moment. Like we're here for something sacred, the starting of a new family before God and these vows and all this stuff and the grace given. And I think Christmas can be like that too. So this afternoon, what I'd like to do is a little meditation to bring us back to the main gift, to like stop all this, like you can breathe a sigh of relief. It's Christmas Eve, you're here, stuff. Whatever's done is done, whatever's not, it's not. And just relax and just, just come back to what the, what the deal is. What is the main gift? Where, what is the genesis of all of this joy that society wants to have? All the claims to be merry, to have happiness, all this, like what is the root of it all? I wanna go back to that root and really think about that for, and just have a meditation on that. Um, this afternoon for a moment. And, you know, it's not like one of these things that I can box it up and hide it for a minute and build suspense about what is it going to be? We know we're celebrating that God takes on flesh and comes amongst us. But I don't know that we all often focus on that and like all the amazing things that flow from that and that come from that. And like, like, I don't think we necessarily stop and really take in what that gift is. It's not a verse that's read often times at Christmas, but Paul has this one passage in 2 Corinthians 9 where he talks about giving thanks for the inexpressible gift that we've received. Or some translations will say the indescribable gift that we've received. That's what I want to I look at, that indescribable, inexpressible, that ultimate gift and begin to just at least try to speak into it just a little bit. We start to look at that gift 
maybe the first thing that we do with that is 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 back up like if it's a really good gift at Christmas you start with the wrapping like the wrapping paper that's on the gift and which builds suspense and the mystery and all the things that go with it and and frankly it's part of the context and the context of the gift really matters right I, I think about this with my one of my cousins many 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 years ago um, she married a guy named George and they'd been dated for a long time. And when they married, they, the story that came out of their very first Christmas after they were married was pretty funny because I, they, um, they were all opening presents together with my uncle and with my aunt and all the, all the people were there. And um, my aunt, Vinda, at the time, she opened up this gift that was labeled from George. And so she opens it up and when she finally gets into it, she, you heard the screech in the room, I'm told, because she holds it up and it's this racy pair of thong underwear from George. And it took everybody a little bit of context to see that my uncle was in the corner laughing because <laughs> he, he had obviously provided this gift. <laughs> context matters. I'll go further and say the wrapping is matter. And we start thinking about the, this extreme gift, the ultimate gift the world has ever known. The wrapping on it to me is all the prophecy that went before. Because you think about wrapping paper, it, it creates suspense, it creates the mystery, it creates expectation, it does all these kinds of things. And that's what the prophecy, all the prophecies that went before. And there are, very, there are tons of prophecies that were fulfilled on this day that we remember. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and I, there are too many for us to do, but I'd love to read just a couple of these. We already read one, but I'd love to go back and look at some of these. The, most of these are going to be from the, from the message translation. Isaiah 7 saying, therefore, Jehovah himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with a child and bear a son, and she will call his name God with us. Isaiah 9, a child will be born to us. Israel, listen, Zion, be ready. Heaven will give us a son. What will be his name? Well, the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Father of Eternity, Shalom Prince. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or of the peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Obviously, the Messiah. Isaiah 11 a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse. Just a branch, a branch from its roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He'll be distinct. He'll be unique. Upon him will be the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, and strength. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of Jehovah. He will delight in the fear of Jehovah. He will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear. With righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted on the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With his breath, his lips will slay the wicked. And it's all intensified. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness will be about his waist. One, let me read one more. This one is from Micah, Micah 5. This is one that comes to this evening as we, or as we think about the birth taking place in Bethlehem. As for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, Bethlehem, it's time to be ready 
from your territory, from your streets, from you, Bethlehem, little Bethlehem, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from eternity. It's the one true gift that's coming about. And St. Paul is reluctant to say much. He kind of punts. I mean, he says other things later. But in this one verse that I mentioned from 2 Corinthians 9, he says it's, it's inexpressible. It's undescribable. But elsewhere he says things, and certainly our gospel writer says things about it. I'm going to say some things about it. And when we start looking at our gospel lesson today, one of the things that John says is the light of the world has come in. It's the light of the world. And it's a, a reminder that, that we have this moment where God is taking on flesh and coming amongst us, and he's the light. And before that, there had been glimmers of light, flickers of light, but now the fullness has come, fuller than ever before, and the only thing, that, it's the fullness that will ever be, is God takes on flesh, comes as light, and it's light in the middle of darkness. And it's, a, it's all this stuff, John makes this contrast between the light and the dark. It's how the light comes into these places of despair for us. That, that Jesus comes as God taking on flesh, not just to teach us these rhythms of grace, to teach us truth, to model love for us and do all this, but he ultimately becomes a permanent presence and power in our lives as he walks amongst, amongst us, as he calls and brings the Holy Spirit to live with us, to empower our lives as we live. And it changes everything. It also is light that comes into the very darkness even of death. The early Christians will be quick to start to sing, death, where is your sting? Jesus has taken away the sting of death and crushed even that. We could go on and on and on with all the different ways that Jesus, God taking on flesh this day, is such a gift. I think one of the summaries I like, because you can feel the joy of it, is from 1,600 years ago when St. Augustine um, is doing a Christmas sermon. And uh, this is part of his Christmas sermon from 1,600 years ago. He says, rejoice you just, it's the birthday of the justifier. Rejoice you who are weak and sick, it's the birthday of the Savior, the healer. Rejoice captives, it's the birthday of the Redeemer. Rejoice, slaves, it's the birthday of the one who makes you lords. Rejoice, free people, it's the birthday of the one who makes you free. Rejoice, all Christians, it's the birthday of Christ. It's so amazing what he does with that. We could go on and on. We could keep trying to open up this inexpressible gift. But I think beyond that, I would pause for a moment to just have you think what's behind it for a second. How much love is behind the gift that's given? I don't know about you, but in my house, there are a couple um, pictures I have hanging in my house that were done by my sons. And there are no art critics beating down my door to claim these. But they're probably my most valuable things in my house because of who, who did it and because of the love that's behind it. And I think before we even open the box to see what God has given us on this day and this ultimate gift, 
we need to pause and think about the love that's behind it. John in his gospel, just a couple chapters from the one we just read that Greg read, is going to talk about how love is behind all of this. God has no um, limit to how far he will go to pursue you and to love you and to bring you in. I was thinking about this a few years ago, like three years ago, I heard this story. It was, on, it was on one of the human interest stories on NPR. But it was a story about a man named Frank from San Diego. And it, it's a sad story, but it's a powerful love story. Um, Frank lived in San Diego and his son, who was in his 20s, got into drugs. And he got into heroin. And as that train goes, he didn't know where it was going to start, but it led him to where he was homeless. He was a homeless person in Denver. And he, this guy named Frank, knew his son was desperate, knew he was homeless, knew he was in Denver. So he flew out to Denver. And he met with a guy named Chris Connor, who was one of the biggest homeless advocates in Denver, and asked him to help him find his son. And he did. And then as Chris Connor said in this uh, interview, this guy went further than anybody he'd ever known because this dad went and lived on the street for a week. He grew his out his beard. He lived on the sandwiches they handed out. He slept in the street, all about just trying to shadow his son and to try to let him know he's loved and bring him back. And it's fascinating for me to hear the kind of love that's there. Frank talks about when he first encountered his son on the street in Denver. He says, he, he had no idea that I'm walking towards him. I can see that he can't stand up without the support of a building. He would appear drunk to most people. To his dad, though, I know from past experience that sadly he's on heroin, heavy. I go up to him and he starts to turn his back on me. I don't even care. I just grab him and squeeze him as hard as I can. The interviewer on this story asked him, why, why did you do this? And he answered, the only thing I could think of was I just want to go there, be with him, love him, show him how much family loves him. There is way more love behind God coming to be amongst us than Frank had for this son. That's part of the joy of this day is stopping to think about not just the gift, but the love that's behind it. And this gift that's given to us is now out in the open. It's right there. And our question is, will we see it? Will we receive it? I won't belabor it, but John says today that as Jesus came into the world that his own people didn't even recognize him. Like, they didn't even recognize him. And that, that happens, right? There are ways that we can do that. I, I'm a big U2 fan. And a couple, a number of years ago, I read a story about how the um, guitarist for U2, The Edge, went Halloween trick-or-treating with his son in Los Angeles. And he, he described how they decided they would both go dressed as The Edge. So they put on their little characteristic beanies and leather coats, and I think The Edge actually wore a guitar strapped on his back, and they went trick-or-treating. And The Edge says that... Uh, at least when they left one of the houses, they could hear the people at the door saying, well, that's sad. The dad doesn't even look like the edge. <laughs> we can totally miss seeing whatever, whatever, whatever's there. And certainly in this case, you would have expected it to be different because Jesus comes to the Holy Land, 
a land that has forever been set aside for these special purposes, that was the promised land, that was all this. He goes to his people, the people that have been separated, made holy to bless the world. It should have been like the home team coming home to a home game and there should have been great praise, but there wasn't. They didn't even, either they didn't recognize him or they rejected him. And it's cause for us to think for a minute, to what extent have we rejected it? To what extent have we leaned into not only seeing the fullness of the gift, but finding God's call and purpose on us? How many of us, how many people in the world have not found the passion, the light, the life, the love that God has meant for us to have in us? That's seeing the gift and it brings us to the next part of receiving the gift. So we may decide we see it and now we want to, do we want to receive it? A lot of people want to just play with the box. I know it's funny, one of the funnier things when my kids were young, like I didn't know, nobody prepared me for this. I didn't know this was going to happen. But I remember when they were super young, but they were about two, maybe even three years where they had more fun with the box or the stuff that the presents came in than the present. They'd open it up and they're sliding around, making a sled out of the box or whatever. And it's like, I remember commenting one time, we didn't even need to put anything in there. It was just the excitement of opening up the box. And I think sometimes we as Christians can do the same. We can play with all the stuff that's on the side. We can pretend and play and do all this stuff, but we really don't want to go and take the gift full on. And maybe there are lots of reasons for that. It, I'm going to confess to you, it can be a hard gift. But sometimes people are don't want to see it because um, it's not the gift they want. I wanted a puppy. I don't hear any noise coming from the box. I'm not going to open it. It's not what I expected. Or people have been hurt by religion somewhere and they don't want to go look at the fullness of the gift. Or maybe we don't want to admit how badly we need this gift. You know, C.S. Lewis used to say Christianity doesn't speak until you realize the box you're in, the predicament you're in, and all of this. if we want to open it up. The biblical commentator William Barclay says about this passage, he says there's two kinds of kids in the world that grow up at home. And there's the one kind of kid that grows up, sucks up everything that there is in their household, and then they go off. And they never come back. They never come back and express gratitude. They never turn around to think about all they've received and all this. And, and they grow apart from their parents. And there's another kind of child that receives all that, but at some point realizes the gifts that are being given to them and has gratitude. And they turn in and are grateful and thankful, and they grow more intimate with their parents as time goes on. He says, look, this is a call to be like that, as John talks about it. The passage that we're talking about is that John says, to those who would receive it, he gave the power to become children of God. It's this idea, it's that kind of child. Because truthfully, all of us are children of God. It doesn't matter who in the world is here. Everybody's been made by God. The prayer book says this. We're all one family. But it's a second kind of coming close to God and intimate to God. That's what this gift is about that we celebrate on this day. My prayer and my hope 
is that on this day, more than ever, that we celebrate the amazing gift that we've been given, this phenomenal gift that's been given. It's a gift that's been given with love that's beyond comprehension, how much love is behind it. It's this gift where we think about God coming amongst us. He embodies gentleness and kindness and love and service. God takes on flesh and invites us to come walk with him and to receive him. That's the gift. Will we see it? Will we receive it? Will we walk with him? If we do, we're going to find whole new levels of joy and we'll find whole new meaning in saying Merry Christmas. Amen.